Okay. So now that, now that we did a full advertisement for the circle, right, we have to send this over to them, right? They should be paying us. They should be paying us. Everyone's going to be subscribing to the magazine afterwards. Um, but Mrs. Klein, first of all, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Hosting, putting out, uh, putting out everything. Thank you, Mrs. Waldman, for all your efforts, putting, uh, putting the shoot together, bringing everybody together uh, to have this chance to learn a little bit. Uh, get a little chizuk about Purim, before Purim, get a little chizuk as far as trying to figure out our kids, um, trying to figure out ourselves, trying to figure out our kids, trying to figure out Purim. We're going to put it, hopefully put it all together. Um, so the title of this year is The Purim Story and Keeping Our Kids on the Proper Path. It was total hashkocha that, that this topic ended up like being the topic that we're talking about. Because there's so many things to talk about when it comes to Purim, and I had a whole bunch of different ideas floating out of my head um, a little while back. And then, um, literally, was it the other... Wait, wait, where did I hear that from? The other day... Oh, right, the other day somebody told me something that we're going we're gonna to talk about in this year that was so off the charts and so unbelievable, something I had never heard before. And then that, that night, which was... Where are we up to now? Today's Tuesday? Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. So Monday night, we did this thing in Miami Beach. We did this panel discussion, which was very nice with the principals. It was a very nice thing. Um, we did it by the Lamets house um, in their backyard. It was very nice. And then afterwards, after, the, uh, after it was over, so I was moderating it. And then uh, Jordan Lahav came over to me and he told me this beautiful thought. They were like tied in perfectly to the first thing that somebody else. Anyways, it all came out that I heard all of these amazing Divrei Torah in the last few days on this topic, and I said that even though there's so, much, so many other things to talk about about Purim, I think this is, uh, Hashem is sending me a message that maybe this is what I need to hear and to, uh, you know, to think about. So, um, so we're going to start with an incredible, incredible medrash. Incredible medrash. Usually we start with a nice story, but uh, this time we're just going to jump right in. Okay, there's a beautiful medrash. And... If I had to ask you a question, okay, I guess before reading it inside, like what, we know, we all know what happened in the story. We all know Haman is walking around all arrogant. Everybody has to bow down to him. Everybody, a lot of people do bow down to him. Mordechai doesn't bow down to him. Haman gets very upset and he wants Mordechai to be killed. Okay, now, if I had to ask you, what, what, what gave Mordechai the ability to not bow down? Right? I mean, we take it for granted, right? That Mordechai didn't bow down. But you have to imagine, there's probably a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure during this time period. Haman is the number two man in the world, okay? Whatever he says, you know, if, if you, don't, you don't listen to what he says, it's instant death. And Mordechai just, he just doesn't bow. So what gave him, what would you say? What would you think? I don't know, let's just put it out there. What do you think gave him the strength, the fortitude to not bow down? Right? Like, like we would be told, like nowadays, to like. You're saying because we can't, because we can't hack it. Like out of respect, like. Could be. I mean, I think. Even if if it's not something we believe in, like we would still be told, like. You're saying even if it wasn't one of the big three. I mean, you're saying. You know, a prince of somewhere in the Middle East now. Right. Told to give respect. To give that respect in a certain way. Okay. I hear. So that, that makes it even stronger, right. you know, that Mordechai, like, he, and he did it with such, like, confidence. Did it with such confidence. What, like, so, 
I don't know. I, I would have always thought, okay, before I saw this medrash that we're going to read, it's obvious. What do you mean? Moshe, I mean, not Moshe, Mordechai was a Navi. He was one of the last of the Nevi'im, maybe the last of the Nevi'im. Um, but Mordechai was a Navi. He reached tremendously high levels. He understood very clearly we don't bow down to other people. It was Me'en uh, It was Avodah I don't know exactly. But the bottom line is, this is halachically Aser. And he knew that. And he passed in that. And he said, I can't do it. And he had the fortitude to do that. I would not have the fortitude. I probably wouldn't. I don't know. Right? I don't know if I would, if I would have the strength. Not Mordechai, but Mordechai did. Mordechai was very strong in his beliefs, in his beliefs in Torah. Torah says not to do something. Mordechai didn't do it, right? That's what I, I think that's what we would all say. But let's take a look at this medrash. The medrash is unbelievable. Okay, the medrash says as follows: that, and I'm going to read it in Hebrew and I'll translate. I don't know because this is whatever. I, I don't know if this is the best translation translation in the world. So I'm going to translate it. Uh, you can follow along the Hebrew and the English or the English, whatever works. But the people asked him, officers asked Mordechai, why um, aren't you bowing down? Why are you not bowing down to the king? And they wanted to be able to relay this message over to Haman. Okay, pretty scary information. They asked Mordechai, why are you not bowing down? Rablevi Amar, Rablevi says... Amr lehem Mordechai. Mordechai said, Moshe Rabbeinu hizir lana b'Torah. What do you mean? Moshe Rabbeinu warned us in the Torah. Arur ha'yesh asher yasa pesel u'masecha. Cursed is the individual who makes a, uh, a pesel and a masecha, an, an idol. V'rasha zeh u'sa'atzma avodas kochavim. And this rasha, referring to Haman, is making himself into a avodas kochavim, is making himself into an idol. V'yeshayahu navi hiziranu. And, and Yeshaya warned us about such, such people. Let's continue on the next line. Okay, so that's what we said. That's what we would assume. Listen, it says it in the Torah. You're not allowed to bow down in such situations to idols, etc. And uh, Moshe Rabbeinu warned us of that. And I can't do it. I can't do it. Obviously, makes sense, right? Okay. Then it continues, though. It says, Velo od. El she'ani ista, I don't know how to even pronounce that. Ist ganterin. Ist ganterin. That means some type of a prince or nobility, um, he said back, he said, not only that, but I'm a prince of Hashem. I'm nobility of Hashem. Because all the Shvatim were born in Chutzla And my grandfather, referring to Binyamin, not his actual great-great-great-grandfather, whatever, Binyamin was born in Eretz Yisrael. And then they said to him, Should we tell this to Haman? And he said, yes, I want you to tell this information to Haman. What was going on? The Mephorshim explained, I didn't put it on the sheet, but the Mephorshim explained in the Medrash that, that uh, all the other Shvatim were born outside of Eretz Yisrael, except for Binyamin, who was born inside of Eretz Yisrael. And people who were born outside of Eretz Yisrael had more of a familiarity with Avodah Zarah. Not that they did Avodah Zarah, but they were born outside of Eretz Yisrael. They had a, so therefore, they had a certain familiarity with Eretz Yisrael. Okay? Um, I'm sorry, with, um, with, with Avodah Zarah. But people who were born inside of Eretz Yisrael don't have that. They don't have that. And therefore, they're on this higher level um, when, it comes to, when it comes to Avodah Zarah. They, they have more, um, you know, more strength when it comes to Avodah Zarah. And he said... That since Binyamin was my great 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 grandfather, how could I, 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 how could I bow down to Avodah Zarah? How could I bow down to Avodah Zarah? It's in my genes. It's in my blood. And if you think about this, this is crazy. I mean, wasn't the first reason enough? 
Moshe Rabbeinu says in the Torah, you can't bow down to idols. This Mordechai Paskin, this is an idol. Again, I don't know the halachic ramifications, how, what, but he Paskin, so you can't bow down. That's it, done. No. The Medrash is saying he needed, it seems like he needed more to motivate himself. What motivated him? The fact that my great, 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 great grandfather, Binyamin, who I never met, who I never saw a picture of, who I had nothing to do with, because it was so many years earlier, that Binyamin, he had this like, this strength about him when it comes to Avodah Zarah, because he was born in Eretz Yisrael, and Avodah Zarah was like a big no-no, big no-no. So therefore, I, I, I can't do it. What gave Mordechai that strength, it seems like, it seems like at least a, a, a piece of it. Obviously, you know, I don't think it was this alone. And obviously the first piece is very important. But what gave him some level of strength was the fact that these are my family values. This is where I come from. I come from Binyamin. And to Binyamin, obviously to all the Shvatim, Avodah Zarah was bad. But to Binyamin, it was like really bad. It was really bad. And therefore, these are my family values. These are my genes. This is what I connect with. And how could I, so how could I, possibly, how could I possibly bow down? That's what gave him the strength. It's an incredible thing if you think about it. Mordechai at Sadik, Mordechai who was a Navi, he needed this motivation? Apparently he did. Because having that understanding, when, when a person has strong family values and their grandparents, their parents instilled within them beliefs that are real, that are, and, and, and they believe it with strong conviction, that has an effect. And that has such a strong effect that that, allows a person, that gives a person the fortitude to really have the strength to say no if it's something wrong or to do something that's right, whatever it may be, to follow in that path. You know, um, not too long ago, I had, I had, a, the, uh, I had this chus to, to be involved with putting together a, uh, a video with the Chavaz Chaim Heritage Foundation for Le'ili um, Nishmas, the Manchester Rosh Hashiva. The Manchester Rosh Hashiva was one of the big adolim of the last generation. Mm-hmm. And he was that what you... Oh, really? Yeah, and he's the master. Wow. And that was it. Wow. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. You said because the book inspired you? Do you mind if I send that message to Rabbi Finkelman, who wrote the book? Of course. Okay. Uh, that is like, he's going to be blown away. Yeah, that's amazing. Rabbi Shimon Finkelman. What's wow. the name? What's the Rabbi Yehuda Zev Segel. Wow. That's off the charts. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. So, okay, so we got to send you the video. So you see, uh, <laughs> but... Rev Segel, so, so it was his 30th yard site and they wanted to make a video to commemorate. And so, uh, so I was asked to, to help out. And, um, and it was an amazing experience because I knew nothing about the Manchester Yeshiva before, nothing. I, I read the book like, uh, like you did. I read the book and I, I, I called up, uh, you know, I spoke to a number of his family members, including his children, a few of his children um, and a few Talmidim. Um, so I was able to do the research to be able to, to put a script together. But the, uh, so when I was speaking to the kids, so his kids are older, you know, now, very, you know, I spoke to two of his daughters who are, one is in London, a very chash of a rabbit, and I think her, her husband is the big Dian over there, another one who lives in Muncie, very, very chash of people. And one thing that I found out 
was that, and this is, they speak about this in the book also, you read about this, but, and all the articles about him. One thing that he did that blew me away, blew me away, is that whenever he made a bracha, any bracha, bracha rishona, bracha achrona, a shahakal, like any like typical shahakal, he always did it from a card or from a sitter. Always. That's unbelievable, right? That was my reaction too. Yeah, walk around with cards in your pocket and always be conscious to pull it out every time by the water fountain, every time by everything. He always had that card. Not just the Asher Yatzar card that's outside the bathroom, which is, which is incredible. But not every benching, time... You know? Right, not just the benching, right. He never, for sure, never davened without a sitter. That was like, no way. But like, but every bracha... And I asked his kids, because I read in the book, I asked the kids to verify it, and they said, and they said yeah, of course. But, but it was much more than that. The answer from the kids struck me in such an unbelievable way. They told me, two of the kids said, to, uh, maybe, was it only one of them? I don't remember. But they, they, they gave over this, this idea. They said, what do you mean? Why are you so surprised? Of course. Of course. In fact, one of the Rebbitsons told me, she said that in, in my house too, she said, yeah, that's, that's what I do as well. She said, I, I try, I don't always, I'm not always able to for the bracha rishon or bracha rishon, but she's like, for sure, asher yatzer, I would never make an asher yatzer not from a card. Like, of course. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, uh. <laughs> like I feel all stupid, you know? Like, and it struck me, it was like, whoa, they have this message so deep. Like, this is real to them. This is real. And I was blown away. And anybody that I told this to was blown away, right? Like your reaction. They were like, whoa, he did that from a card? That's really incredible. To them, to the kids, it was like, yeah, of course. Of course. That's, that's natural. To, doesn't everybody make a bracha from a card? How could you not make a bracha from a card? That's this idea. When values are real and they're entrenched, and yes, obviously, with Gedolim, okay, it's going to be a more powerful thing. But, but we could do the same thing for our kids. We really can. When values are entrenched and values are real. Oh, they told me the same thing about Lashon Hara because that was his big thing. Not speaking Lashon Hara, right? The Manchester Shiva was known as the Chavetz Chaim of our generation. That's why the Chavetz Chaim Heritage Foundation wanted to do this. He, he created a calendar. He created the calendar to learn two halachas a day of Sefer Chavetz Chaim. Uh, and he, everybody who came to him... He said, uh, learn two halachas a day of Sefer Chavetz Chaim. Don't speak Lashon Hara. Don't speak Lashon Hara. He promised people, Yeshua's, tremendous Yeshua's. If you, don't speak, if you uh, stop speaking Lashon Hara, if you start learning to uh, try to not speak Lashon Hara. But his kids told me the same thing, that in their house, Lashon Hara was like, no, like, no. Nah, I'm sh- no, okay, I mean, whatever. We're all normal human beings. But the, 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 the idea of speaking Lashon Hara was like, what? It was so real. It was so real to them, just like the brachas from a card. Because when a person has clarity and a person has clarity in their values and, and, and they give that over, that message is very real. And it's so important for our kids to connect with that because they, you know, the kids connect with what their parents what their parents and their grandparents, etc., what their, what their lineage is. I don't know exactly how that works, if it's built in the DNA, I don't know the science. But it's real. But it's true. It's true. And if we, um, you know, if we are able to, to really give over that message to the kids, then they're going to connect to that as well. It's going to be something very powerful. But it goes a step deeper. It goes a step deeper. And this is the, uh, this is the piece that a friend of mine told me the other night that blew me away. That blew me away. Number two on the sheet. 
the Ralbag, one of the Rishonim, tells us, tells us something unbelievable. He says that, what is it? Same question that we asked about Mordechai. Mordechai not bowing down to, to Haman. So when it came to Esther, he's bothered by like, what gave Esther the fortitude to, to, to do the right thing in every step of the way while she was in the palace? She didn't give in to her, she didn't explain her identity to Achashverosh when Achashverosh really wanted her to. She didn't, uh, she, she, when Mordechai told her, go in to Achashverosh, even though you weren't summoned, and that was at the risk of her life. She went in and she listened. What gave her that strength? So listen to what he says. He says something unbelievable. The Rabag writes, and we'll read in English for the sake of time, this one. He says, it is proper... I translated this one, so I, I hope, you know, so I'll say it the same way. So he says, regarding Midos, it is proper to inform a person. The Rabag, by the way, the way he writes is he, he learns out lessons from the Parsha, from the Megillah, from whatever it is. And he explains from those, uh, from those lessons of what happened there, lessons to us. He says, it is proper to inform a person that they should have compassion for their relatives and bring them close at a time of need. We see that since Esther, we see that since Esther was the daughter of the uncle of Mordechai, Okay, and she grew up in his house. That was the cause that brought about the salvation for Kal Yisrael. And this is the important line here. Since he raised her like a father, she listened to his commands even after she entered the kingdom. And through this, it was good in the eyes of Hashem to bring the salvation for the Jews through her. What was her motivation to listen to Mordechai? After she was already in the palace, when Mordechai told her, don't reveal your identity, when Mordechai told her, go into, the, go into Achashverosh, even though you weren't summoned, what gave her that fortitude? Wouldn't I assume what gave her the fortitude is because she was in Nevi and she was on Ahim Adriga, she wanted to do what Hashem wanted, and the Gadol Adar is telling me to. No. Rabbach says that wasn't the motivation. The motivation was that, that Mordechai was like a father to me, and he brought me in from a young age, and he, and he loved me, and he cared about me. And I connect to that. And since Mordechai is giving me these instructions, I'm going, to, I'm going to follow suit and I'm going to listen. Because there was that love in the relationship. There was that, there was that compassion. There was that connection. There was that kesher. And as a result of that, she was able to, uh, she was able to listen to Mordechai and she was able to do what Mordechai, what Mordechai had commanded her. I'm sure the other cheshbonos were there too. Thinking about Hashem, he's the God of Ador, etc. But, but it seems from the Rabag that the real motivation was the fact that the love was there, the care, the relationship. You know, the, um, I saw an article, I saw an article I wanted to share with you by, um, by Dr. Sorotskin. Dr. Ben-Sion Sorotskin wrote something amazing. It's a little, uh, you know, it's a little strong, but I think we can handle it. He, he wrote like this. He says that the Torah is, Dr. Strutzkin deals a lot with teens at risk and all that, all that stuff in, uh, in New York. And he said that the Torah is transmitted via the Mesorah from parent to child. When the relationship with the parents is defective, the transmission is corrupted, setting the stage for the child's rejection, rejection of the Mesorah. I once heard a Rav, I'm just quoting him, I once used a, uh, heard a Rav use this concept to explain a difficult halacha, a ben sorerumoreh, is executed only if his parents don't forgive him. Interesting halacha, right? The ben Sora right? With the Parsha and the Torah, it talks about, right, the son who's going to go off the derech. He's going to go off the derech. He's not off yet, but we see that he's going to go off the derech. Torah says we execute him. Crazy Parsha, okay? It's a whole sheer in and of itself that I'm not prepared to talk about now. But, he, but the point that he raises is unbelievable. He says, so 
but it's only if the parents don't forgive him. So he says, this is difficult to understand since the penalty is a result of our assumptions regarding his future behavior, not his disrespect for his parents. What does the disrespect for his parents have to do with it? And he said, the Rav answered like this, that if parents have such a relationship with their son that they won't forgive him, then they have disconnected him from the Mesorah and therefore there's no chance that he could do tshuva. Isn't that powerful? I'm going to read that again. If... Hi, how are you? Oh, no problem. Um, I'm going to read that again. If parents have such a relationship with their son that they won't forgive him, that they won't forgive him, then they have disconnected him from the Mesorah and therefore there's no chance that he could do tshuva. Isn't that scary? It's powerful, right? Powerful and scary, right? <laughs> All at the same time. No, he writes, there's no chance. That's what he heard from this Rav. And he's basing it from the Shema Shmuel. But there's no chance that person could do tshuva. Because if, if the child feels that the parents will not accept my, uh, my forgiveness, the forgiveness, then forget about it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to throw this off. And that first line that he said, that the Torah is transmitted via the Masorah from parent to child. As much as we like to think, as much as we all want to think, that like, well, listen, I pay tuition. I send my kids to school, right? They're supposed to get a good education. They have great rabbeim, they have great moras, and they do, right? So, so, then, so, so let them take care of everything, right? But the, the truth is, that's not the case. The, case the, the reality is that the Torah is transmitted via the Mesorah from parent to child. And the, the love that's felt in the relationship is so critical, not just for their self-esteem. And I don't want to say the word just as if like a negative self-esteem. I have a whole nother huge talk about self-esteem, which is so critical for our ruchnius. It's so critical for everything. But, but it's, it's just for the pure, for them to do mitzvos. You want our kids to do mitzvos? We want them to learn Torah? We want them to keep Shabbos? We want them to keep kosher? We, th- that relationship needs to be there. That's the critical piece because that's how the Masora is transmitted. And they connect to the values that their parents have and they, the children connect to those values. And as a result, whatever, whatever those values are that's given over is going to be real. It's going to be real to them. Like we said with the Manchester Rashiva's daughter, to her making a bracha from a card, she could not, she thought I was nuts for asking such a question. She thought I was crazy. It was like totally different world. So it's obvious. Of course you make a bracha from a card. That's how I grew up. Of course you don't speak Lashon Hara. That's how I grew up. Who, who speaks Lashon Hara? Can you speak Lashon Hara? Right? It's, it, so those values, those values are so real. There was an article I saw by Rabbi Lawrence Kellerman who writes like this. He says that mounting research has shown that children who are raised, sorry, it's not on the sheet, who are raised in an affectionate family environment are more likely to grow up caring, empathetic, and giving people. They, they, uh, they are 30% more likely to get married and to stay married. Most striking of all, psychologist John McCord, former president of the American Society of Criminology, was able to predict with all inspiring 92% accuracy whether a child would grow up to be a criminal based exclusively on the level of affection that a given child had received. <laughs> this, is, this is a good answer, so they can listen to the shir. Okay, no, and he concludes like this. He said, as Rabbi Kellerman concludes from all of these findings, love is not a luxury. Taken together, the basic ingredients of love, attention, and affection might constitute the single most important factors in human development. 
the single most important factors in human development. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And if it's true about human development, and if it's true about, he has a whole other study, but we're not going to talk about it now, about how, how, it, uh, you know, how that affection happens to also affect, also affect physical well-being. He says that uh, the children who had more affection from their parents growing up were less likely to get sick, physically sick. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? But, uh, but certainly when it comes to Ruchnius, when it comes to Ruchnius, that affection is so real and it's so true and it's so necessary. Um, and when they feel that affection and they feel that love from their parents who are the models of Torah, from their Rebbeim, who are the Rebbeim, the Moros, the, the Rabbanim, the people in their life who are those models of Torah, then in turn they're going to, they're, they are going to want to connect. And that's going to be the driving force that's going to, that's going to allow them to do it. I saw a beautiful story um, last night in the, I saw it last night in the kids' book about Rabbi David Trank. Rabbi David Trank was the Rabbi Gabriel Grossman of the... No, no, I just I remember you told me that, that he, <laughs> right? That everybody here refers to uh, Rabbi Grossman as his. It's unbelievable. And he's, uh, he really is like that. Um, but Rabbi Trank, so they have a kid's book about him with the different stories um, of his love and his affection for his Talmudim. And one of the stories, it was so beautiful. It had... Um, oh, it was talking about this one student in Adelphia, this one Talmud that he had who he saw that he had, like, he had an interest in getting into music. And so he got him, I think he got him piano lessons. And Rabbi Trank got him those lessons. He started learning how to play. Uh, he would get him, Rabbi Trank would get him different, like, little small gigs to be able to, to play. He played at people's houses. He, he went around when there were kids who were sick in hospitals. This guy would go around and play for them. Um, and it was great. It was great for the people. It was great for this guy. Um, it built up his self-esteem. Then he said he wanted to learn how to play the drums. So Rabbi Trank was pushing him and he was encouraging him. And he said, yeah, he said, I'll get you a drum set. Got him a drum set. The guy learned how to play the drums. And he said he remembers one time while he was learning, he said, while he was playing the drums, Rabbi Trank was standing right behind him while he was playing. I don't know how, but he was standing right behind him and he was like drumming in the air like this, Shabbat Trank. He was like drumming like to the beat that this guy was uh, doing and he was, he was showing how into it he was. And this guy felt like he, he felt that, he felt that love. And it said that a number of years later, he, he went on in life and he became a successful businessman and he was living life. And he, and, but then he said at a certain point in time, he said like he felt like he wasn't learning enough. So he wanted to start doing Dafyomi. He started doing Dafyomi. And after seven and a half years, he completed the Dafyomi. And he completed, he made a Siyam Hashas. And he said, I want to make my Siyam Hashas. There's no greater place, he said, there's no other place I want to make my Siyam Hashas than at the Yeshiva of Adelphia dinner. He said, I want to make my Siyam Hashas there because of Rabbi Trank. And he wanted to make it at, at his Yeshiva dinner. And at the dinner, he got up and he made the Siyam Hashas. And he said that while he was making the siyam, he noticed Rabbi Trank standing right behind him. And he was looking over at the Gemara. And he said he had this like, this vision, like this deja vu, like he remembered that like Rabbi Trank was with me. Rabbi Trank gave me the encouragement when I was playing the drums, when I was playing the keyboard. And he stood right behind me, playing the drums in the air then. And now he's standing right behind me, celebrating these, celebrating these accomplishments that came that came as a result. He built people up with that, that love, that pure love, that pure affection. And, and, and that was it. 
And that was it. That was what, that was what motivated people. That's what motivated people. That's what pushed them. I told you a story in the summertime. It's worth repeating. I think, I think um, we had a sheer before Tisha B'Av, right? I think so. We did something on Zoom maybe, right? I don't remember. Was that this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I heard a story. So I remember it because I heard it from somebody who um, I spend the summers with. And um, he told me, um, I give too much information, but this fellow learned in Adelphia. And he said he, ha- he said he had gotten suspended from Adelphia. He was there in high school and he got suspended because he was, he was really turning the place upside down. He said, I single-handedly was turning the place upside down. I was not following any rules. I was going totally against all the rules. Whatever they said, I just did the opposite. Chutzpah, everything that works. They couldn't handle it, right? They, could, they couldn't deal with it. So they, they suspended him and they sent him home. His home was in Baltimore. He said that after a few days of being home, all of a sudden there was a knock on the door and he opened the door and it was Rabbi Trank standing at the door. And Rabbi Trank said to me, he said, come. He said, we're going back to yeshiva. And he went in the car and they drove back to yeshiva. Now, Adelphia is not right next door to Baltimore. It's about two and a half, three hour drive. Maybe three and a half, I'm not sure. And he thought... For, for a long time, he thought that Rabbi Trank happened to be in Baltimore, happened to be that they decided they had a meeting and they decided my suspension was over. So whatever, I'll come and pick him up. He said, Rabbi Trank, he found out years later, Rabbi Trank was not in Baltimore. Rabbi Trank had, had nothing to do in Baltimore. He had no need to go to Baltimore. But Rabbi Trank was thinking about it. And he said to himself, he's, he's, he's back. He's at home right now in Baltimore. And what does he feel? He feels like the yeshiva just like kicked him out. So, so I, have to, I have to show him something. I have to show him that I feel close to him. I have to show him that he should feel close to us so that this way, hopefully he'll feel that connection and he'll come back. And Rabbi Trank picked up in his car and he drove the three hours to Baltimore. He picked up my friend. He told him we're coming back, brought him back to yeshiva. They continued. He continued learning because of that affection and love. He turned around, started learning, and this friend right now is a, is a very, very hush of Magid Shir in New York. And I'm not just saying that as a cliche, uh, that uh, that's how these stories are supposed to end, right? But, um, but he, he literally is this is, a, uh, this is a very close friend of mine. And he said that that, that that was like something that had a very profound impact on him. The love, the affection, the care, and no matter what they're doing, no matter what they're doing, no matter what the children are doing, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference what's happening in their life, what's going on, how they feel. To, we have to show that love. We have to show that affection. There was one more Rabbi Trank story that must be mentioned. Now, this one was in the book, I believe, but I didn't see it in the book. I had heard about it. My father-in-law told it to me. And then, um, and then I also saw it online quoting Rabbi Bender. Rabbi Bender apparently said this, that it was a Friday night in the yeshiva and... And that says a bunch of guys from the yeshiva got into a car. I heard one version of the story I heard was that they stole a car. This version says they just got into a car. It says they got hold of a car. I don't know what that means, but okay. But they got hold of a car and they drove to the movie theater. Friday night, hold of a car, drove to the movie theater. And they're sitting in the movie theater. And Rabbi Trank heard about this. And immediately when he heard about it, he started, he walked to the movie theater, probably a few miles. 
Yeah, he ran a few miles. Ran. He ran a few miles to the movie theater. He somehow got into the movie theater. I'm trying to understand how that worked exactly. Seeing this big rabbi with a uh, with a long beard, like what exactly that interaction was like when he came there to the theater and asking to come in and not paying. I don't know. I don't know how that worked. But he got into the theater and he got into the exact movie that they were in and he came there and he sat down next to them in the movie theater. And he said the following thing. He said with, a, with love and with a smile on his face, he said, guys, he said, just realize that the popcorn not might kosher. not be kosher. So just don't eat the popcorn. And then he walked out and he left. He was. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and they felt that love was like, unbelievable. That was how we disciplined. That was how we disciplined. Michal Shabbos, taking the car. The, I, I mean, unbelievable, right? What, what's the typical reaction to that? What's the typical reaction to that? But that wasn't Rabbi Trank's reaction. Rabbi Trank's reaction was that you just got to show love. Just got to show love. And in turn, when you show love, then they connect. Then people connect and they want to. They want to come back. They want to be a part of it. But there's another great idea. Now, this did not make it on the sheet. My apologies. But amazing. This is the idea that Jordan Lahav told me. You know Jordan from, uh, from Miami Beach? Great guy, Jordan. So he told me this idea Monday night at the panel. Right after the panel. Beautiful thought. Listen to this. The Pasuk says in Perak Bay's Pasuk Zion in the Megillah, when it's talking about Mordechai and raising Esther, and it says, that Mordechai raised Esther. That, those are the words. That literally means that he raised Esther. Okay? Hadassah, right? Which is Esther. Okay? Because she didn't have a father or a mother. Hadassah was Esther. This was a very important piece of information for me last night because, because my son's in Rabbi Alkabez's class and he puts, he makes, he gives this like extra credit assignment the last few days, you know about this? That like, that, uh, that they, he asks them these like crazy out of the box questions on the Megillah and they have to find the answer. They don't have to. It's like an extra credit thing. If they come back, they get like five dojo points. I don't know what that means even. But, uh, you know, I just know I get these emails every day, every single day that says, you know, Chaim got a star on class dojo. I'm like, yes, okay. I don't, I don't know what that means, but okay. And so, so he said, so, so yesterday's question was, Chaim comes running to me. Who, people in the Megillah, I need to know somebody from the Megillah that had... Two names. That had two names. And I'm in the middle of preparing this year, and there's a lot going on. And I'm like, and Zahavo's screaming. And I was like, oh, okay, I said, this is an easy one. This is an easy one. Esther Hadassah, Esther Hadassah, done. Esther Hadassah, okay, good. We got the answer. He's like, no, I need three people from the Megillah <laughs> that had two names. So we had to spend, we spent a little bit of time. We figured it out. Question. You remember this one? We figured out. It's Haman and Mamuchan. Anybody know the other one? <laughs> Put you guys on the spot. I, I, at least I wrote, I don't know if he's going to get credit or not. I said Daniel and Hasach, right? Now, it doesn't yeah, say yeah, Daniel, though. It doesn't say Daniel in the Megillah right. anywhere. So I was like, all right, maybe Rabbi Alkabez won't give me credit, but I'm going to have to beg him. I'm going to have to beg Rabbi Alkabez to get uh, credit. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I can't think of anything else. But anyway, but, um, but Hadassah and Esther. No, I was going to say Hamelach is Hashem, but I don't know if it actually ever says Hashem. 
doesn't say Hashem. Right, doesn't say Hashem. It doesn't say Hashem. Right, but that's true. Right, but that is true. Every time. I don't know. I didn't think so. But we're being recorded, so I'm going to leave the answer vague. <laughs> exactly. You know, and if we find out he did, we'll have to snip that part. But, um, no, I'm just kidding. But Hadassah Esther, okay, so, but the, the Lashon of the puzzle was by he omen es Hadassah, Aleph Mem Nun, omen es Hadassah, that means that he raised Hadassah. That's what it means literally. So Jordan told me that he heard from his Rebbe, Rebbe Moshe Bamberger from, uh, from Lander College in, in New York, who, who was quoting Rav Hutner. I could not find the piece in Rav Hutner. I was trying to find it, and it was very last minute. I couldn't find it. I'm sure it's there. But he quoted Rav Hutner as saying the following. Why does it use the word when talking about how he raised Esther? It uses this strange word, omen, aleph mem nun. I guess there could have been other words to use. I'm no expert in Hebrew, but there could have been other words. Rav Hutner said the reason why is because Omein comes from the word emuna, And emuna means belief. And it's, the Pasuk is telling us that the way that Mordechai raised Esther was that he expressed to her from a very young age belief, emuna within her. And he constantly said to her, you're amazing, you're great, you could become great, you could do great things. And he constantly instilled that message in her from a very, very young age. And that's how he raised Esther. And that's the idea that was being quoted. Again, I, I feel bad I didn't get a chance to see it inside. Uh, hopefully I'll find it. But, but, um, but that, that's how he raised her. That's how he built her. That's how he built, that's what the relationship was built on. Consistently telling her, you could do it. You're amazing. You could accomplish great things. I believe in you. I believe in you. Emuna, I believe in you. And because he believed in her, she was able to do great things. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. That's, what the, that's where the love comes from. There's a, there's a story that it could be you know, and it could be I've said it here, but it definitely bears repeating. It definitely bears repeating. The problem is you guys know all my stories. It's a very big problem. And then... Then I repeat, I know that story. Yeah, because I told it to you last time. That's why you know the story. But okay, but this story, it, it's it definitely, wow, definitely bears repeating. The story about Rav Moshe Feinstein and the prank call. You know the story? No. Yes. They don't know the story. Okay, the story goes like this. This is a true story. Rabbi Shapiro told me that he verified the story. Um, as he, he says, when he says it over, he, uh, you know, he, he, ver- he says that he verified it with the individual. The story goes like this. There was a few guys who thought that it would be funny, a few teenagers. I mean, it's a number of years ago. They thought that it would be good shtick to prank call Gedolim. This was their shtick, to prank call the Gedole Hadar. <laughs> Sounds pretty sick. So, <laughs> but, like but, right, that, that's true. That's true. Right? To pray, call Gedolim. That was their idea. So it was one guy, it was his turn. And they told him, they said, it's your turn tonight. And we're up to Rav Moshe. <laughs> we're up to Rav Moshe fights this. So exactly. So I don't know how they do this. They went alphabetical order. Like, I don't know exactly. Right, exactly. How do you, how do you figure this out? You know, like Rosh Hashiva. This Yeshiva. That. Yeah, well, uh, right. I, I don't know. So, so... You call. Well, you call. Your you call. Yeah, the Gedolim answered their not, phones. Not on the phone. It's like the wife, or you know. Right. Oh, so so that's what happened here. So they called up. So he. Not 
So he calls up Rav Moshe. He calls up Rav Moshe Feinstein at a crazy late hour. And it's late. And the Rebbitzin answers. The Rebbitzin answers the phone. And he says, can I speak to Rav Moshe? And the Rebbitzin says, he's asleep. Should I wake him? And the boy says, yes. So Rav Moshe gets up. And he washes Degelwasser. <laughs> we didn't even get to the story yet. <laughs> but he, he wakes up and he comes to the phone. And within a few seconds, Rav Moshe picked up, the boy starts talking to him, and Rav Moshe picked up that this is a bogus call. Like, within a few seconds. So Rav Moshe starts to ask him questions, and he said to the boy, he said, I'm just curious, he said, which, you know, which yeshiva do you learn in? And the boy didn't want to answer at first, he thought he would get in trouble. You know, Rav Moshe said, no, 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 yeah, no one's getting in trouble. He said, I'm just, I want to get to know you. Like, where, where do you go to yeshiva? What are you learning? He told him the, he told him the Masechta that they're learning. He said, what daf are you up to? I think it was in Bab Metziah. He told him the daf that they're on. Rav Moshe told him, can I tell you, he said, can I share with you the question that I have on Tosfus, on that daf? The boy said, sure. Rav Moshe starts to tell him the question that he has on Tosfus. The boy doesn't have a clue what Rav Moshe is talking about. Rav Moshe, you know, Rav Moshe picked up that he had no clue what he was talking about. So he said, okay, let's go back. I'll explain to you. Let's learn the Gemara. Rav Moshe took out a Gemara by Metziah, and he taught him the Gemara. The whole Amr Gemara. He then taught him the Rashi. He then taught him the Tosfus. After the Tosfus, he said, do you understand? The boy said, yes. He said, now let me explain to you my question on Tosfus. He explained the question on Tosfus. The boy said, wow, that's a good question. (laughs) And he understood the question. Rav Moshe then said to him, tomorrow I want you to go to Shir and I want you to ask the Rebbe this question. I want you to ask my question on Tosas to the Rebbe. And then they ended off the conversation and finished. The next day the boy went to Shir. The Rebbe asks, (laughs) the Rebbe asks some question in the Gemara, or at some point in the class, this boy raises his hand. The boy who never was involved in anything raises his hand. And the Rebbe says, what can he, like, what can he possibly have to say? And he calls on him. He's all excited. This kid's raising his hand. Calls him. And this kid asks this incredible question. This incredible off-the-charts question. The so, you know, Tosa says this, but how can you say that because of blah, 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 blah. And the Rebbe is floored. And he said, what? How do you get that question? And he said, Rav Moshe told it to me. (laughs) (laughs) What? The rest of the week. At the end of the week, the boy was in his room. The boy was in his room and he was crying. And the parents overheard him crying. And the mother comes over to, comes to the door. And she's like, what's going on? Why are you crying? And he said the following thing. He said, Rav Moshe believes in me. Rav Moshe Feinstein believes in me. And if Rav Moshe believes in me, then I should believe in myself. And if, and since I should believe in myself, said right now, I'm going to take upon myself to start learning. I'm going to take upon myself a new commitment to Yiddishkeit. And I'm going to start paying attention and I'm going to start learning and I'm going to recommit myself. And 
That's exactly what he did. And then as we have to have the endings of these stories, <laughs> that guy, yes, he also went on to become a Magadshir. Different guy than the Rabbi Drake guy. Different guy than the Rabbi Drake guy. Um, unless maybe it's the same guy. No, but that would be, uh, he would have told me that. He would have told me that if he was actually, no, he's not that old. But um, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Because Ramosha believed in me. Because Ramosha believed in me. Mordechai believed in Esther. Mordechai believed in Esther. And that was what gave her, sorry, and that's what gave her the, uh, that's what gave her the confidence. That's what gave her the confidence. He said, I believe in you. You could be great. You could be great. You could be great. And she had that confidence. I saw a, a article that was written by Rav Zilberstein, one of our Gadoliads, or Rav Chaim's brother-in-law, Rav Yitzhak Zilberstein. Um, and he said the following thing. A little scary. A little harsh. Um, but... We could handle it. We handled that last one over there from Dr. Sorotskin. We could handle this. This is what he says. I'm just going to quote to you what Rev Zilberstein says. He says that many of the problems that parents experience with their children result from the fact that the parents find it difficult to see the positive in their children. Most of the conversations they have with their children revolve around their critical perspective of their child, what they did wrong, and what they still need to improve on. There are parents who mistakenly believe that their parental responsibilities are limited to noting their, chi- their children's limitations and imperfections, while the positive aspects of their children are ignored. In this manner, these children only hear about their deficiencies, and so they are actually unaware that they have positive attributes. It's a powerful line, that they are actually unaware that they have positive attributes. That's a scary thing. But I, I, like, I was thinking about that line. I was thinking about it. It's like, whoa. But a person could really grow up thinking that they don't have any positive attributes. They could completely be unaware of their positive attributes. If they, if they were never told about it. Think about it. It makes so much sense. We, have, we naturally have low self-esteem. That's the starting point. We all naturally have low self-esteem. Okay, different levels. Different, okay, fine. And we have the Itzahara that's going against us. Telling us, you don't have it. You're not good. You're not good. You're not good. Right? So if, if, if it's never fostered and developed... How would a kid know that they have this talent? They could, be, they could have the most unbelievable talent in the world, but if it's never brought out and fostered and, 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 and seen and appreciated and recognized and built, then how, how, they may never even know that they have that talent. That's scary. He continues. He says, this is one of the most terrible injustices that can be perpetrated against children. An injustice that results in chinuch issues that are almost impossible to repair. Even when they become older, it is very difficult to tap into their positive qualities. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. The, the encouragement, we saw Mordechai gave, Mordechai gave encouragement to Esther and told her that she's great. What does that mean? That goes beyond just saying that I believe in you, the words I believe in you, right? That's obviously much more than that. That's, that's, I, I really believe in you because I understand that you really have great qualities and you can utilize those qualities to accomplish greatness. Whether those, whether those qualities are, you know, artistic qualities, whether it's that the child is studious, whether it's that the child has a, has a high IQ, whether it's the child who does not have a high IQ but could be, uh, you know, pushes very hard. Whatever those positive qualities are, musical, this and that, you know, whatever it is, whatever those talents are, whatever those positive attributes are, we need to recognize them, we need to notice them, and we need to bring them out within our children. Rabbi Shai Akon, a, you know, one, of the, uh, one of the great chinuch experts of our day, 
he, uh, Rabbi Shaya Cohen started Priority One, which was one of the, one of the originals, you know, in dealing with, um, after Rabbi Trank in Adelphia, but dealing with teens at risk, etc. Rabbi Cohen said the following, powerful line. He said that we often give, when it comes to the ratio of compliments versus, um, you know, what's the word? Versus, um, you know, yeah, but there you go, right? Versus criticisms to our kids. Parents often give 10 criticisms for every compliment. And he said, if we can try to, you know, turn the tide a bit, that it's 10 compliments for every criticism, then it could very well be that kids will turn out, turn, turn out very different. It could very well be that kids will turn out very different. 10 compliments for every criticism. And by the way, we could find those, um, we could find those compliments Wow, time flies. We'll hold with one last story. But we could find those compliments in, even within the criticisms. Listen to this. Listen to this amazing story. We'll hold with this. Um, I'm not going to be specific so that you don't know where I'm talking about. Um, but a certain, a certain particular you know, school somewhere, they, they, there was a child who, I'm sure this happens everywhere. <laughs> it could be. But a, uh, a kid in the elementary school um, you know, one of the elementary school grades was running out of the classroom and running out of the hallways, then running into the street and running away. And this was consistently happening. So the administrators had to get involved. This is a very serious situation and it's a, uh, it's a scary situation and it's a safety issue, right? So they spoke to the parents, they got him the help that he needed, um, etc. And 